This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our Tuesday, August 14th, 2018 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I am here today while Steve Peasley takes a few days off, and that's okay because I enjoy fielding your questions, whether uh, they're beginner or advanced, whether they're just investment-related or financial-related questions uh, more broadly. Maybe they're real estate questions. Our phone lines are open right now at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. Now, lately, there has been a lot of talk about tight labor markets, low unemployment, and vastly improved productivity. That sounds good, and it is good for job seekers. A new report is claiming that purchasing power for most Americans has been stagnant for decades. And I'll take a look into that in a few minutes and dig a little deeper. But before I do that, I'd like to go to a recorded call from a member of the Invest Talk listener community. Here's a question that came in earlier on our Anytime Listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is John. I'm calling from Walnut Creek. I listen to you on podcast. I have a question about calculating total free cash flow for a company. I'm looking at Yahoo Finance and they have operating cash flow listed and levered free cash flow listed. Is the total cash flow just the addition of the two, or is one better used than the other? I know Morningstar also has it listed out as operational cash flow and free cash flow. So I just wasn't sure if you just add the two or if there's, if there's one that's better than the other. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing you on your next show. Bye-bye. All right, now this is a, a good question because there's uh, a lot of metrics for a company that include the term cash flow. Uh, but when you're looking at the cash flow statement from a company, there are three main sources, financing, investing, and operations. Now, you want to focus the most on operations, right? That's the cash flow that's coming in from ongoing business activities, your, your, their main business, their operations. Then there's the investing side. And that could be uh, maybe they, they own an old building and they, they, it's an asset in their balance sheet. They never sold it and they're just renting it out and they're, uh, they're getting income from that. Or maybe they own some treasury bonds or uh, some bonds or some, some other types of assets that is giving the company cash flow. That's cash from investing. And then there's cash flow from financing. And that is when a company issues bonds, issues equities, borrows from banks. They're, they're doing some sort of activity to bring cash into the business. And that's good to have every once in a while, but that's not going to be a consistent, reliable source or shouldn't be a consistent, reliable source of cash flow into the business. So those are the three main sources of cash flow. Now, when you're looking at free cash flow, that is the money that's left over after in reinvesting in the business, paying out dividends, etc. Right, the money that goes kind of to the bottom line that the company could use to do other things. Uh, maybe uh, usually that free cash flow is put into retained earnings, 
and maybe they use it for an acquisitions at, at, at some point. Maybe they um, make a big co corporate initiative where they use that cash to, towards a specific uh, purpose. Maybe they pay down debt. Now that would be negative. That'd be a, a negative cash flow on the uh, financing side, right? Instead of positive cash flow, that's negative cash flow. It means they're repaying the debt. So you can see how complex that cash flow statement can be. So I hope that clarified that a little bit. Uh, you always want to focus the most on cash from operation, cash flow from operations, and your free cash flow. Uh, good, good quick example is Tesla. Uh, their trailing 12-month cash flow from operations is negative 318 million, meaning their operations are burning about 318 million dollars per over the last 12 months, while their cash flow from financing is positive. 3.1 billion, meaning they're raising money via equity or debt, etc., uh, to bring money into the business. That's not what you want to see. You want to see the opposite. You want to see cash flow from financing going down, being negative, and cash flow from operations being positive. Hope that clarified it. Thanks for the call. I love those questions, broad questions that can teach everybody a little bit of something. Now, in preparation for today's program, we came across a story at USA today.com that claims real U.S. wages are essentially back at 1974 levels. Now, how could this be true? Now, here's an oversimplified example for illustration purposes. Now, if you get a $1,200 annual raise on the same day that your rent goes up $100 a month, you don't need an accountant to tell you that you didn't actually make any financial progress. This is essentially what has been happening to most American workers over the past four years. For decades, I apologize. Now, this report is from the Pew Research Center. Is it accurate? Could it be biased? I don't know. But first, know that the Pew Research Center is reputed to be a nonpartisan American fact tank based in Washington, D.C., and provides information on social issues, public opinion, and demographic trends shaping the United States and the world. And obviously, we've had both Republican and Democrat presidents throughout the last uh four decades or so. But for the sake of argument, let's say the story is true. And the big question then is this. Has your purchasing power increased or is it still about the same as it would have been back in the 1970s? Now they say after adjusting for inflation, today's average hour, hourly wage has just been about the same purchasing power as it did in 1978. In fact, in real terms, average hourly earnings peaked more than 40 Five years ago. The $4 an hour rate recorded in January 1973 had the same purchasing power then that $23.68 would have had today. So this shows you just the power of inflation or the detriment of inflation. This is why I think it's crazy that the, the Fed is always trying to target inflation. And, you know, I get why? Because uh, it helps banks. Helps banks uh, become more solvent. It's better when inflation. Uh, it's better to be lending out money when there's inflation as opposed to lending out money when there's deflation, because it becomes harder for people to pay you back. So that's why banks and the central bank wants inflation. So the heart of the problem seems to be that while wage increases may have make people feel like they're getting more money, getting ahead. They don't actually mean that people are doing better. 
or that they have more discretionary income. So what does this tell you? Well, it just shows you that you need to establish a balanced savings and retirement plan so you can grow your money over the rate of inflation. Now, you don't have to do it alone. If your investing skills are top-notch, good for you. But if you need assistance, Steve and I can help evaluate your situation. We can guide you to your best plan of action. So send us a message through investtalk.com. Don't put it off. Now, if the lines are open, I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. Now, today's main talking point is, do you really need a financial advisor? Now, sooner or later, every serious investor has to come to terms with this question. So I'll look into that a little deeper. Also, if time is permitting, uh, I'll get to the things I was going to discuss yesterday. One, I think, is a, a, a deeper dive into the Cole Tesla situation right now. Because... While he tweeted out about a week ago now that uh, Elon or that Tesla was going to go private at $420 a share, it's now come to light uh, by the admission of the company and the board of directors and really everybody involved that there is funding is not secured by any stretch of the imagination, which uh, makes it pretty uh, pretty crazy. Uh, to me, it seems that Elon has committed securities fraud, market manipulation. However you want to put it, he's certainly broken the law to some degree. And we'll see what kind of ramifications he has there. But what I want to go through is the standard process of a buyout. What do they look like? What happens before people are notified, the public is notified? I think this is a good time to bring that up and help you understand what that particularly looks like. Then I want to get into annuities. Are they good? Are they bad for everybody? And then I can maybe get into earnings and income and what are the different types that you might find and, and uh, uh, different reports you might be looking at and what each of them mean. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, substituting for Steve Peasley today. He'll return on Friday. Now, Steve and I are happy to take specific stock questions, but we also encourage a broader range of inquiries as well. Anything money-related, we can help promote your understanding of various investing terms, practices, explaining how the market works, different asset classes, etc. So get your question to us. All types of questions are welcome at 888-99-CHART. Tuesday Invest Talk. August is moving fast. Is your portfolio properly diversified? If you're not sure or if you need assistance making the right adjustments, get your questions into Justin right now. He's here and he's taking your calls live. 888 99Chart. Now, do you really need a financial advisor? Now, many people uh, in today's world uh, find it pretty easy to invest in low-cost mutual funds or ETFs, and certainly that can fit for some people, especially those that have some knowledge, right? You, you know how to put together a coherent strategy to achieve your financial goals. And... For some people, that's certainly a viable option. 
But the big question is, can you narrow down the choices? There are a lot of choices in today's world, right? From thousands of mutual funds, hundreds of ETFs. Are you able to narrow those down into ones that have good long-term performance, below average fees, etc.? And then can you narrow that list down and put it into a coherent portfolio, a mix between uh, large cap stocks, small cap stocks, growth versus value, bonds, both long and short term, and high yield and corporate and, and uh, government, etc. So there's a lot of different asset classes that are out there in the marketplace. And so can you figure out how you can allocate your portfolio to each one of the funds that you choose for a particular asset class that you want exposure to? And does that mix help you achieve your goals and fit your particular risk profile. And then what about savings? Do you know how much you need to save? What is the trade-off between risk and reward of the particular assets that you're looking at or funds that you're looking at? Can you monitor them, rebalance on a regular basis? And then when you get to retirement, do you know how to gauge how much you can withdraw from your accounts based on your Social Security income, maybe pension income, as well as your lifestyle to make sure you don't run out of money too soon? So this is where realistic self-assessment comes in. Are you comfortable taking on these financial issues on your own? And I'm sure some of you can. And that's why you're here. You know, you're trying to learn as much as you can to try to make these decisions. And then when you're starting out, typically you don't need a whole lot of help. But as life progresses, if you aren't up on the market, how cash flows work, how specific mechanisms of transitioning in retirement work, you may need help. So it's important to be honest with yourself and make sure that you are coming to the right conclusions. I'm Justin Klein. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. Listen to past Invest Talk programs on demand and for free anytime at investtalk.com. Or you can subscribe to the Invest Talk podcasts at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please do so. Then listen, rate, and review. Right now, Justin's here and he's taking your calls live. 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. Love the show you guys put on. Learn lots from both of you. I have a question hopefully you could help me out with. I own a stock currently called Teladoc, T-D-O-C. It's had a real nice run for me. I've considered selling, and now it's kind of on a downturn, and I just noticed today that they're being bought out by some other company, but it wouldn't give me a price. What would you do in this situation? Is it a good time just to sell and get out of it, or will they be bought at a better price and might be better on to hang on to it and it might run up again. Thanks for your help. Love the show. 
All right, he's looking at Teladoc. T D O C is the symbol. And it's trading at $71.70 a share, about a $4.4 billion market cap. They never made money. Uh, what they do is provide on demand healthcare services with over 3,000 board certified physicians. Revenues dramatically growing 112% year over year uh, and, and accelerating, really. But losses don't seem to be abating. I'm trying to find news about this. You're saying that they're going to get bought out. I'm not seeing any news of the sort. So I don't know where you're getting that. Uh, at least I'm not seeing it in any of my news feeds. Right now I'm using Y charts. If you're watching on our YouTube live stream, you'll see what I've uh, brought up, but I'm not seeing any major news. Now I'm trying to bring up the chart as well to see if it looks like it's been, no, it, it, I don't see any buyout offer. Uh, to be honest with you. Now, it definitely had a reversal day. Uh, I don't know if that was yesterday, looks like. Yeah, August 13th, that was yesterday on, I guess, not above average volume. I'd say average volume. Uh, this is a growth name. It doesn't earn money. Uh, you've had a good run. I do think this is the future of how med medicine is going to be delivered. I will say that. But they don't have any history of having positive cash flow, even their cash from operations. Remember we talked about cash flow from operations, talked about Tesla? Well, this is the same situation. Cash from operations is negative $36 million for the trailing 12 months. Cash from financing is $380 million positive, meaning they're raising money, whether that's through debt, whether that's through equity, they have to do a little deeper research. But certainly the deeper financials are not looking good for this name. Uh, you're, you, you've had a good run. I would cut back at least, uh, at least down to, at least a half or a th uh, up down to maybe three percent of your overall portfolio. Reduce it dramatically because uh, I think this is a growth name, uh, who's uh, and the, the growth side of the market starting to turn where the growth are underperforming. Finally, the value side of the market, and I think this is a quintessential growth name with zero profitability, strong revenue growth, but earnings just can't seem to get out of their, their their own way. So I would definitely cut it back, and I do not see a buyout offer unless something come, came in after hours. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show, and that's a good segue all right, to uh, what I want to talk about in, in Tesla. And uh, I think everyone who's listened to the show for any length of time knows uh, my, my feelings on it, but Let's talk a little bit about the process of a buyout, right? Uh, a week ago, Elon uh, took to Twitter, said we he, he's thinking about taking the company private at $420 a share, funding secured, which basically would be a buyout of over $80 billion in enterprise value, meaning equity and debt, because a lot of the debt uh, would have to be uh, brought back to par and, you know, uh, basically, all the debt holes would have to be repaid in that that sense. So, over eighty billion dollars, you would have to finance, which is would be would dwarf the the record leverage buyout uh, that happened. I think two thousand thirteen, uh, which was TXU, a uh, uh, Texas utility, and it's just not 
really going to happen, <laughs> just to be honest with you, and subsequent events have shown that it's nowhere close to being done. But I want to talk about what the process is for these type of things. Now, first off, step one is either the company puts it up for sale or somebody brings it an offer, right? They bring an offer to the company uh, quietly. Number two, the company's board is notified of the offers and is consulted. Number three, the company goes out and hires an investment bank to get outside advice about the sale process as well as hiring a law firm to handle any legal issues that arise. Then a non-disclosure agreement is signed by executives, the selling company, and prospective buyers. Then data is opened up, balance sheets, they're, they're inspected, scrutinized the company's books in detail. Number six, a few weeks after that, the first round of bids from the prospective buyers come in. It, it's kind of like an auction, right? They go to outside purchasers, uh, uh, other buyers that potentially buy the company. And then seven, if enough bids are, are enticed, they, they'll come to a final buyer that is identified. And once the final buyer is identified, the deal is made public and only after all the ducks are in a row and it's all released at one time and basically what happened is Elon has skipped every single one of those steps he's still at number one to show you how far behind an actual buyout they really are now tomorrow on Invest Talk, how do interest rates affect the stock market some sectors benefit from interest rate hikes but rate ripples can rock the stock market as well I'll explain all that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here for you. Call me at 888-99-CHART. Our Invest Talk podcast continues. One of KPP Financial's solutions that help solve today's retirement puzzle is our balanced income portfolio. How do you get the income you need in retirement without the kind of risk that you don't feel comfortable with? That's what this program is all about, the Balanced Income Portfolio from KPP Financial. And remember, as with each KPP program, the principles at KPP are invested right along with you. Would you like to know more about it, the Balanced Income Portfolio? You can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts, or you can ask Steve about it directly. Just click on the Contact Steve button on investtalk.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Invest Talk's Steve Peasley will be coming to San Jose August 29th. There may only be one or two remaining appointments available with Steve, so if you understand how valuable it can be for you to receive his personalized no-cost portfolio review, Please register now at investtalk.com. The show continues. Justin's here, and the phone lines are open. Taking your financial and investing questions live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve. Hey, Justin. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm calling from Jacksonville, Florida. I had a question about Yum China, ticker symbol Y-U-M-C. She's taken a bit of a beating over the past several months. Uh, her earnings seem to be sporadic over the past several quarters, but it's an area that I like. I like the expansion potential in China, and the company is also 100% debt-free when I looked at it. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on a five-year hold, maybe even a 10-year hold, more of a long-term outlook. 
thank you so much for everything you do, and I look forward to the answer on the show. Thanks again. Ari is looking at Yum China Holdings. This is the Yum Brands of China. It's been spun off from Yum Brands, uh, owns a KFC, Pizza Hut, etc. And believe it or not, KFC is very big and very popular in China. It's a, it's a date spot, uh, at least the last time I did research a few years ago. Uh, maybe that's changed. Maybe the culture's changed. But uh, they're, they're certainly a company that, that does well uh, in that country. And their earnings are growing, uh, yields about 1.1%, about a $13.7 billion market cap. And you're correct, they are debt-free. Enterprise value is 11.67 billion, and market cap is 13.63 billion, which means that about 2 billion in cash on their balance sheet. Enterprise value to even a six, that's cheap as well. And this is an example of currency risk, right? You're investing in a foreign company. And their business is in yuan, Chinese currency. And what has happened over the past uh, three to six months? Well, because of the tariffs, China has just devalued their currency to make up for the tariffs that they have, or the, President Trump and the uh, White House has put on Chinese-made goods. And so... With that comes a declining currency and any asset that has its revenue in that currency, which uh, I would imagine the vast majority of their revenue comes from uh, yuan, you're going to see a decline in that particular stock, like Yum China, Y-U-M-C is the symbol. So that's why it's been in a downtrend. From a business perspective, they're doing relatively fine. Earnings are revenues were up 12% year over year last quarter. Earnings were up 16% year over year last quarter, and return equity is 24%, very strong. So I actually like this. I uh, you have to be prepared for the dec continued decline in the yuan, but I think we're closer to the end of that decline than we are at the beginning. So I like it. Uh, technically, it's rebounded and starting to consolidate. So I'm kind of a fan of it. And I just like the company overall uh, long term. Yum, China, Y-U-M-C is the symbol. Thanks for the call. Great question. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 20 minutes left to get your call in. Now let's talk a little bit about annuities. I know they're boring. But the odds are you're going to get pitched an annuity at some point in your life. And when I say annuities, I also lump in universal and whole life insurance as well. Because that is just an annuity disguised as life insurance. Remember, annuities, life insurance, they're all just contracts. And they can be structured in many different ways. Now, there are standard boilerplate uh, assumptions of what is going to be in a particular contract. But you need to understand why they aren't so great. And when a small sliver of people should actually consider them. 
Now, one of the big sales points is going to be don't bet your money on the Wall Street casino. You're going to hear that a lot, right? And so they're going to pitch the safety of this investment. And they use fear tactics to sell annuities. And if you get suckered into buying one of them, and when I, like I said, when I say annuities, I lump in variable, or sorry, a universal and whole life as well. So if you are unfamiliar with annuities, basically you're giving insurance companies your money in return to pay you some sort of an income stream, usually for the rest of your life. Now in some annuities, if you die before you receive all your money, too bad, they get to keep it. So first off, you're betting that you're going to live longer than they expect you to live, which certainly could be true. And even if that is true, you are unlikely to still be better off unless you live maybe 20 years past uh, when they expect you to. So they're going to take your money, they're going to invest it, and they're going to give it back to you over time. Now, if you want to withdraw some of that money, there's going to be penalties. And annuities are so bad that the government is passing specific rules such as the best the best interest act client best interest act that was proposed in 2016 by the department of labor and as soon as that happened annuities fell off a cliff annuity sales fell off a cliff shall i say why because they know they can't sell an annuity that is in the best interest of the client and why is that well because typically the commissions are very high seven percent or higher so if you sell a, a, a broker sells a two hundred thousand dollar annuity they're gonna make fourteen thousand dollars and sales of these annuities are starting to crater because of this best interest rule they're very high in fees a lot of uh, uh, they, they lock up your money typically holding periods are seven years or more and if you want your money out, you're going to have to t pay a steep penalty. So avoid them. Now, there are a few people that should use maybe a fixed annuity, but typically those are very, very rare occasions. And if you've completely saved up enough money to live off and you know exactly what your fixed needs are going to be long term. Let's go to Jason in Palo Alto. How are you doing, Jason? Hey, good. Uh, hey, question. Um with these markets, I mean, all the markets being what I would consider extremely frothy, uh, real estate, residential real estate, um, the equity markets, and say you're in real estate, you have a couple of house or maybe you have a couple of houses if you're lucky and you got 401k and you're just loaded up on equities right now. And I don't want you guys to have to you know, like give away your proprietary secrets, but is there is there a way to hedge the market without... You know, because, you know, the old saying, markets can be irrational longer than you can stay liquid, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you guys promote or have any plan where you actually do options or insurance against equity portfolios rather than getting in and out and trying to time the market? I'm just, just curious. Yeah, uh, I think the, the, be best, the best 
hedge that we like right now as uh, a covered call strategy. Uh, we actually our equity income plus strategy is is that's what that is. Uh, we buy dividend paying stocks and we sell calls out of the money uh, calls on them, and and that will hedge us some of the downside. Now, if the market crashes twenty percent overnight, obviously that hedge is going to be you know only one or two percent in relation to that big big drop. But uh, you know the odds of that happening, I think, are, are are relatively remote. Now, could we enter a downtrend? Sure. Um, but I, I think what it does is it gives you continued upside in the market, which you're correct is frothy, but uh, remains relatively buoyant, uh, as well as gaining option or, or dividend income from the stocks. Uh, and you know, if the, the the market does decline some, those options that you've sold are going to expire worthless, and you have some hedge on the downside. So to me, that's probably the best hedging strategy in this market, especially kind of how choppy it is, uh, that typically works the best. Yeah, like, uh, do you have any inverse instrument against real estate? I mean, I, I know it's not something people like to talk about now because, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I remember 08. Anybody who talked negative against the real estate market was laughed at. I mean, they were belittled yeah. on NBC and TV shows. So uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's going to go down, but hey, uh, they never really fixed any of the systemic issues that caused the 08 meltdown, in my opinion. And real estate is what, to me, is wildly overvalued. Uh, I mean, interest rates are obviously helping keeping that buoyant. But is there an inverse product for those of us that are kind of the Michael Burries of the world that think it's going to crash? Is there any way to, I mean, because you can't, it's not, obviously, real estate's not as liquid as equities. Is there any product that you know of that you can hedge against commercial or residential real estate? Well, there there is an ETF called uh, SRS, which is the Ultra Short Real Estate uh, ETF. Now, that also shorts REITs, which I'm not a big fan of shorting REITs because of their cash flow nature, uh, etc. So, I mean, to me, I would be just shorting individual home builders. Now, let me talk a little bit about the real estate market, and I do agree that there is some frothiness, and especially with the, the, the increase in mortgage rates, you're starting to see affordability issues, and I think uh, that's something to worry about. You're seeing sales start to decline some, even though prices haven't declined, but eventually sales decline enough, uh, inventory swells enough, you start to see sale, uh, uh, price declines. So that's certainly true. Now, when you say they haven't fixed the industry, you are correct. There are some remnants of poor practices that uh, remain in the real estate market. They have fixed some like the problem with appraisals and the incestuous nature of appraisals and you can no longer uh, just pick your appraiser uh, like you used to. So there are some things that they fixed uh, but when I look at history and you look at history uh, of markets typically the last bubble, the last uh, misallocation of capital in the economy in bulk tends to not be what was what caused the last crisis, right? 2000, we had a misallocation into tech stocks, right? It was the next bubble, a misallocation of tech stocks? No, not really. Now, did that, is this uh, an era where there's a misallocation of tech stocks? You could argue that. Uh, but I would talk about it more of corporate bonds uh, and lending, corporate lending. That is really where the misallocation of capital is. Now, if that suddenly becomes some sort of a crisis, 
Will that affect the real estate market? 100%. But is the next downturn going to be triggered or the uh, epicenter going to be in real estate? I, I highly doubt it, to be honest with you. Does that mean the real estate price can't go down? No, absolutely not. You know, you have a recession, you have uh, interest rates rise uh, to a certain level, and you start seeing uh, inventory swell, you're going to see declines in real estate. So that's just the nature of it. Uh, and you're already seeing a little bit of cracks kind of in Silicon Valley as uh, liquidity is coming out of that kind of tech bubble 2.0. So I get what you're saying, um, but if I'm going to hedge the market, my hedge focus is not going to be on real estate. People focus on the last crisis, and typically that means the next crisis is not similar. It's different. Does that make sense, Jason? Okay. Yeah, it does. I'm just, I'm just looking. If you, if you look, just one really final, final point here. If you, if you look at, I mean, say look at Bitcoin. Look, pull up a Bitcoin chart for mm-hmm. the last year. I mean, that... that Yep. You, you can you could argue that that's real estate in the Bay Area and on the coast, and I, I'm sorry, but it's not sustainable. And I think it's gone too fast, too far, and it's got to come back. The affordability index, for for instance, in the Bay Area, is in single digits. So I mean, and there's only so much foreign money out there, and I just mm-hmm. I, I I've been there before where people say it's going to keep going up. It's different this time. And I'm hearing that now on the street. So that's all. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree and, with you. And, I'm not and, and I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's different. I'm not saying it's different. I'm not saying it's different. I'm just saying it's not going to be the epicenter. Did real estate bring down stocks? Yes, real estate bring down, brought down stocks last time. Will stocks or the corporate debt market bring down real estate? Yes, I think that's what will happen and that will but it won't be the epicenter of where things uh, are, go wrong next time. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Santos in Boston. How you doing, Santos? You want to talk about why, why? Yeah. So uh, I was listening to the show like uh, around two months ago. So Steve was uh, like uh, expected to be around, uh, like going up to be around 105 and 110. But uh, with uh, like recently it's going down, down, down. And uh, with yesterday's earning, it went still down. So I just wanted to know like what kind of news I should look for a, like in deciding about a stock. Yeah, this is a Chinese provider of online social communication platforms. Uh, it's a Chinese tech company. So once again, this is like yep. Yum China. You you have a decline in the yuan. That's certainly going to weigh on any Chinese-based uh, companies, and that certainly happened. You're having a decline in growth stocks, and so you kind of have a double whammy here with YY. Uh, it's a it's a Chinese growth stock. Um, so I think you're going to continue to see downside. It's certainly not uh, super cheap, but also it's a Chinese company. How, how 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 much can we trust their numbers? I always worry about that as well. So it's in a downtrend. It's certainly oversold, um, but I think this is probably headed to 50 uh, before uh, it's all said and done. So I would stay away from it. Thanks for the call, Santos. Our Tuesday show is nearing its end, but we've got about 10 minutes left in the program to get your call in. So let's talk about the finances or investing questions that are on your mind. Get your calls in now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, how do interest rates affect the stock market? 
Some sectors benefit from interest hikes, but rate ripples can rock the market. Justin will be in for Steve tomorrow, and he'll explain. But right now, he's here, and he's taking your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in New York. How are you doing, James? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, what I you know you want to talk about mutual funds? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I uh, I have some money. I'd say about twenty thousand dollars that's like dormant presently in an account, bank account, earning next to no interest. Um, I do not want to invest that money in any type of stocks. I don't want to en- invest it in anything that will necessarily lose. Uh, but is there an opportunity, like a mutual fund or a even a bond fund or short term? Uh, income fund, something like that, that I might put that in. That'll. I don't want to do a CD either, so I'm looking for an alternative that might help grow that outside of keeping it in a bank account. I would just go with a money market account. That's the simplest thing. It's going to be liquid. Uh, you can go to bankrate.com. There are uh, options for... Uh, Ally Financial, Goldman. There's, there's, there's many options that will give you at least a decent yield. You know, in this market, you have the Fed funds rate uh, around 1.6%. You might get something around that, maybe a little bit higher from a money market account, and that is going to be what you want to focus on because you said you don't want to lose any money. Now there are mutual funds, short-term bond funds that might yield you two and a half, maybe three percent. Uh, but there's risk there, uh, not only from credit risk, but also interest rate risk, even though the interest rate risk might be relatively small. But on a money market fund, you don't have any of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so the best I could do is like essentially 1.5% to 2%. That's essentially the most I can get out of that Ex- while keeping it liquid and secure. Yeah, now uh, the Fed's going to raise rates in September, so those money market rates might adjust higher. It should have adjust higher to some degree, and uh, that's what you uh, that, that's going to help. Uh, but I, I I don't think I would go with any type of mutual fund. I would just stick with a money market account. Go to Bankrate.com. You know, I, I'm not promoting them in particular or anything, but I know you can find a lot of or the highest yielding ones. Make sure it's FDIC insured, etc. Uh, and I would go with that instead of a mutual fund. Understood. Thanks Thank for the call, you. James. Now, we are running out of time, but let's see if we can fit in an email question. This is from Daniel. He says, hi there. My name is Daniel, and I was wondering your thoughts on Home Depot before earnings. Uh, I believe they actually just came out with earnings, and they actually beat earnings, but they were down after earnings. So certainly, uh, I don't like that. Uh, the housing market is weakening to some degree. They're going to have some correlation to that. You're making a lower high on Home Depot. It's trading relatively on the expensive side. Certainly a great company long term, but I would not be owning Home Depot in this environment. And then he was looking at AAXN, uh, which I talked about a little bit on air, I believe, a couple weeks ago. This is the old Taser, and they're uh, doing well by adding electronic control devices, uh, cameras that police wear to monitor situations, etc., to make sure there's no accusations or anything like that, I believe. And so their earnings are doing well, going up. They're projected to go up 43% this year, 60% next year. But this is all priced in. 
went from 23 to over $60 a share, now weakening. I think you're late to the game. You missed it. Um, so I wouldn't be owning Axon or Home Depot at these levels. Thanks for the call. Or the email, actually, Daniel. Thanks. Let's see. Let's look at the market today. We had an update after five straight days of negative moves in the market. They weren't Many of the moves weren't ne that negative. They were modest down days. But you had the turkey news that came out yesterday uh, over the weekend. Really, uh, their currency is collapsing. They're going to have a currency crisis, a financial crisis. It rebounded a little bit today, but I think is more of a dead cat bounce. And it just shows you what's happening. The Fed is tightening policy. The strong dollar is causing issues worldwide. And if you look at the global markets, they're down for the year. Almost all of them are down for the year. Our markets are being held up by the Googles of the world, the Amazons of the world, uh, the Netflix of the world, which even though those are, are weakening, uh, I, I certainly think the back half of the year is going to be more of a, I think it'll be down. I think the market will be down between now and the end of the year. How much it'll be down, it's hard to know. Uh, the economy is certainly slowing from that 4% rate in the Q2. How much it's going to slow will be a big indicator of how much the market is going to be down between now and your end. That's it for a Tuesday. Another Invest Talk radio show soon to be posted to our podcast library at investtalk.com. I'm Justin Klein. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow for Steve Peasley. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.